This week on Inside Motorsport, we catch up with young Australian driver Thomas Randall. I hope you'll stay with us. Thomas Randall, currently driving in the Dunlop Super 2 Series, but it's been quite an interesting journey here in motor racing. Where did you first get the motor racing bug from? Uh, it was from my dad, actually. He used to race in the Sports Ant Series, uh, the Kerrick Sports Ant Series uh, here in Australia. And when I was a young tacker, when I was seven years old, he brought home a go-kart, which was probably the biggest mistake he's ever made. <laughs> Uh, and I hopped in it and since then I've, I've just loved driving cars and uh, it, it really took off from there. I mean, I didn't get to do my first club day until Dad thought I was ready and fast enough and then it was always a case of I, I couldn't move up until I'd proven myself in the lower levels. And uh, yeah, here we are today in, in Dunlop Super 2 with, with Tickford Racing. So who were you racing against back in the karting days? Uh, so there's actually a, a few drivers in the main game I'm, that I race against. You know, there's James Golding, uh, Anton Di Pasquale, and there's a lot of co-drivers uh, that are out there too that I've driven against. So it's it's nice to see them go well, especially because a lot of them are rookies. So when they're going well, it sort of helps me out in, in, in a little way. Um, but at the moment, uh, there's just so much to learn in driving this supercar. You know, having come from a single-seater, open-wheeler background, it's yeah, it's a lot to adapt to. When you're starting karts, that of course is talked about as where all the Formula One drivers start at, and I imagine that was your immediate goal. How do I get to Formula One? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I watched Formula One from when I was a really young kid. I mean, I went to the 2006 Formula One Grand Prix in in Melbourne with my dad, and it, the noise and just seeing the the, um, the the drivers are like they're like heroes, you know, to be able to race cars that fast you know put their lives on the line it is a, a spectacle and a half really and i um as i went up through the ranks in karting i moved up to formula ford in australia i won the championship in 2014 and then 2015 did trs in new zealand and f4 in australia got to was very lucky to do a test in formula 3 in valencia in spain at the end of that year and we pushed pretty hard to try and get a gig in fia formula 3 for 2016 but it the money was just phenomenal and I managed to get a deal together with a team in England to race in the British Formula 3 Championship and that was really where I thought, you know, this is this is where I want to be. TRS, you're one of the few Australians to do TRS and you won it. When you look at the alumni of TRS, it's fairly impressive, about three currently or recently Formula 1 drivers. Yeah, well now Kvyat's going to be back in it and he raced in it. You know, got Brendan Hartley, um, Lance Stroll... Lando Norris now, you know, and Stroll and Norris won the championship, and uh, the year after Norris won it, I won it. So uh, I can't imagine McLaren will be calling me up next year. Uh, but you know, it's nice to see them doing doing great. I know financial backing has certainly helped them get to that spot. Um, but to be able to have said I got to race in Europe for two years, you know, not many people can say that. So it's it's been one hell of a journey, and especially living away from home as well for th for those two years is is something that you're not really prepared for. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. I, I don't think I'd want to remove that experience from my life. It's something that I'll always treasure. What were the tracks that you were racing on? Because you got to race on some pretty amazing tracks. Yeah, in, in England, I got to race on Brands Hatch and the Grand Prix circuit, which is just so very balls to the wall stuff. Uh, Donington, Alton Park, Silverstone, um, Snetterton, and then when I went over to 
race in the Formula Renault Euro Cup series. I got to race on Formula One tracks such as Hungary, um, Spa. It was Paul Ricard. The, the, the list sort of goes on. I mean, Barcelona, like places like that. You, when as a kid uh, growing up, you're watching the Formula One cars racing around there, and you never think in a thousand years you're going to be able to do the same thing. Um, so. Like I said, it's it's a memory I'll, I'll have for the rest of my life. How's the mindset, though, when you know it is so expensive, you're over there? Are you putting even more pressure on yourself to try and perform, understanding that you probably only have one or two years to be able to get then the benefactor or the team to invest in you? Yeah, the biggest thing, I think, for me was thinking that the opportunity wasn't there for a long time. Um, I realized age wasn't on my side over there. You know, I was 20, 21, whereas I was racing against kids who were potentially 17 or 18 and they were in a car nearly every week and I'm in the car at every round. So there's, they, they can understand the car so much quicker. Um, so the pressure was certainly on and I had that belief that if I just get the results, you know, that, that'll get me there. And I've only got this one shot. So whenever I make a mistake or had, a, had, a, had an incident on the track, you know, I felt pretty, pretty terrible about it. But I think that's helped me a lot now because now I, I just feel like the pressure's off a bit more now back in Australia. And that's helped me a lot on the track. How did the decision come home? How did that decision get made? How did you go, all right, I've had my shot? Um, well... The financial side of it was probably a, a big um, deciding factor, but a lot of it actually was towards the end of it. I I kind of wasn't enjoying it as much as what I first did when I went over there. When I first went over, you know, it was so many people to meet, all the tracks, the cars, you know, the place, England, Europe, and then as as it went on, I I started understanding a bit more of the politics of the sport, and over there, you know, everyone's kind of out to get you um they're all kind of piranhas in the ocean <laughs> and um yeah i wasn't too upset to come back i'm really enjoying living back back at home and in melbourne uh, it's nice to be back in australia so the racing as i said the racing and the tracks was great but sort of everything off the track was was not so great and that kind of outweighed driving the cars over there but now i'm enjoying my time out of the car and in the car so whilst you're overseas what were you doing for work were you working in the team or were you doing something else and then just coming in every race weekend yeah oh no i lived in england uh, i lived with a friend of mine named marcus kosh uh, and we were lived five minutes from snedderton which wasn't really the, the the nicest place to live it was about two and a half hours from london and i was doing work for that team that i raced for they had the cars in other divisions other classes which i was doing driver coaching on weekends um, i got my driving instructor's license when i was driving lmp3 I was getting paid a little bit there and also doing some driver coaching with him. He also had a radical. Um, so there was a little bit of work here and there. Not, It wasn't as busy as I probably thought it was going to be. But then when the Euro Cup um, deal kicked in, that's when things got really busy. And it was a bit, of a bit refreshing to know I was just driving my own race, my own car. And I was just full focus on that. And then there was still a few just driving, instructing stuff over there. I mean... It was hard to get a full-time job and or a retail job, especially where I was living. How do you uh, then return home and reset your racing goals? Look, that's something I've, I've been working on. I think 
I just had to clear it out of my mind. I mean, December last year, I had no idea what I was going to be doing this year. And for someone who's just come back from Europe, racing in Euro Cup, to not know what you're doing next year is pretty hard to, to know. Uh, and then I sat down with my dad and my manager in December and uh, they said, well, my manager said, how would you feel if I told you that Tim Edwards wants you to drive for him next year? And you can imagine the smile that uh, came of, on my face and that was really where it took off from there. And since then, it's just been a, been an awesome ride with this team and you know, everyone's, everyone's working so hard and they're all just great to work with. An interesting learning curve for this first year for you, as you said, not predominantly in sitting in the centre of the car with uh, all the uh, all the atmosphere and uh, everything out in the open to putting a lid on it. Exactly, and now I'm, I'm on one side of the car, um, and even though I race so much in Australia, five of the seven tracks that I'm racing on this year I've never driven on before, so. I've got to try and understand the car on a track I haven't driven on, or five tracks I've never driven on. So there's, there's a lot to it. Plus, uh, the wheel-to-wheel racing is totally different in a in a tin top compared to a single seater. You know, you bang wheels in a single seater, and someone can flip over. And in a tin top, you can you can push, you can bump side to side. So I'm still trying to figure out how much you can get away with before you know important components of the car get damaged. And you're changing with the. Uh left hand again changing gears because open wheelers are either paddle or the gear shifts on the right hand side yeah, exactly yeah back to left hand uh, shift which is reminiscent of my dad's sports sedan so he runs he's got a Saab sports sedan uh, which he actually used to race as I mentioned he did sports sedans and I've been racing that as well this year just to keep race fit um, I haven't driven it for a couple of months now but um, we did a, f- a few rounds in the national series and a couple of state rounds, and that's really kept me sharp for the Super Two. That was the main reason to, to be in that car. And um, it's yeah, it's it's weird being in a championship with a roof, but I'm getting more and more used to it. What's now the end goal? Now that you're with Tickford, so you're with a team that has got a, a career path and has shown they like to develop their own drivers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, there's really been no pressure on me from the start, which is which is really nice. Um, and I haven't really put too much pressure on myself. I've just been trying to learn as much as I can and not make too many mistakes. At the end of the day, they, they, they would want a driver who's not making silly mistakes and keeping the car straight. So the ultimate goal is to get into the main game. When that is, I'm not sure yet. I just need to prove to the team that I'm, I guess I'm worthy of a seat. Is it was it originally saying to you well let's get you into the car this year let's look at next year again in Dunlop Super 2s with a co-drive was that something that was discussed or is it purely 2018 we're going to have you in our Super 2 Dunlop Super 2 car when we first signed signed it I think that was the main plan with the the mindset of potentially doing it again next year with the team uh, they, they haven't mentioned the co-drive to me yet um, so like I said, I, I, I'm not gonna. I don't want to worry about that just yet. I'd like. I'd love to get a co-drive next year, but I'm not gonna think about it because the moment you think about other things, you know, you're taking your mind off off the job at hand. Um, but hopefully, the team's enjoying working with me. I, I think they are, and you know, it would be nice to, to be with them next year. So away from the track, uh, what are you doing with yourself? So I'm at uni. I'm studying mechanical engineering part time because full time's just too hectic. And apart from that, I'm on the simulator 
doing all the normal race driver stuff, training, physical training. And my dad runs Rusty French's cars in the Touring Car Masters or the Group N Historics. Uh, and sometimes I'll just go there and give him a hand. So it, it keeps me pretty busy, especially with uni. And what led to the interest in mechanical engineering? Uh, probably my dad. He, he studied it as, as well. And I went pretty good at high school and I, it was just kind of like followed in his footsteps in a way. So it's been pretty tough because when I did Formula 4 in Australia in 2015, I did one full year, a uh, full uh, time semester, sorry, in mechanical engineering. And then after that, I've deferred ever since. So two and a half years out of uni has been a challenge to get back into. I, I feel so rusty, like I'm having to go back in the library and just try and find all the formulas and how to, how to know how to do all these equations. We look forward to seeing how the rest of this year pans out for you. It's been certainly an interesting year and uh, one of the things about your car, it's a very distinctive looking car with that sort of John Player special theme. Yeah, I mean, I've had so many comments, people saying it's the best livery ever on a, on a supercar, which is pretty awesome to hear. I mean, I've just got to thank the support of Rusty French for helping me out for these past couple of years. And the car is just basically based off his TCM car and I think it looks phenomenal. It's just clean and plain and simple. Well, all the very best. Thank you very much, Craig. Thanks for having me. Well, from the new to the well-established, next week on Inside Motorsport, we hear from Mike Raymond and Fred Gibson. Until then, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.